This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 557. And the quote of the day is, as long as you are true to yourself, you've already won. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here. Thanks for checking out this episode. And I'm pumped about this episode because it is with Billy Martin of Medeski Martin and Wood. And Billy has been a very, very huge influence on my playing. And I've had him on the podcast before a long time ago. And also, through that initial conversation that I had with him on the podcast, it opened up a lot of things for me. And I talked to him about it in this episode and, and thank him for it. And so if you want to learn sort of the backstory of Billy and all of that, I recommend going to check out the other episode that I did with him, which is episode 174 from back in 2016. And this conversation specifically we talk a, a lot about creativity about finding creativity in things other than playing and being yourself and and the difference between what Billy talks about is like the academic side and and the other side which is sort of the creativity side and and learning to play live and learning to play with other musicians and and he talks about the ac- academic side and saying you know that that may be a a bad way to, to, to describe it, but that's sort of the best way that everyone understands it. But getting away from the book, getting you know more into the creative space and getting behind the kit and just playing and, and developing your own sound behind the kit. So a very inspiring conversation and a very eye-opening conversation. And I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the one and only Billy Martin. Billy Martin, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Nick. Good to be back. Yeah, thanks for thanks for. Uh, I guess it's not that early for you, so. No. So you, thank you for. Getting uh, it's, it's not too bad. It's not too. Who I forget who I who I would like. Oh, uh, you know who it was, Alphonse Muzon. Uh, every time I would talk to him about doing an interview, he'd be like, "Can we do three a.m.?" And I'm like, <laughs> I'm "Like, do you have any other time of the day uh, that we could do it?" Unfortunately, we never we never made the. Uh, the episode happened, but uh, but I always remembered it was always like a random time, like three or four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> wow. Um. So you know, I was thinking that one of the things that I felt like I should tell you, and I was going to tell you off air, but I felt like I should tell you publicly because I think more people should should understand this, and I think this is a good way to to get into this is. When before you were on the podcast a few years ago, and this may have been like a flash in the pan for you, but for me, it really resonated with me because I always thought that in order to be a drummer and a professional drummer and to be, you know, to be revered and and to be respected in the industry, that you had to be completely myopic and you just had to be a drummer and that was all you could do. And I remember having the conversation with you and you were like, yeah, I, yeah, I play drums, but I also, you know, I have a record label and I'm interested in these other things. And that was the first time that I really had a conversation with someone that I really, really respected as a player and as a person that was like, you don't have to just be myopic and just be drums, 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 drums. And that's all I do is drums. 
And now as I've started expanding that conversation, the more and more people I talk to are saying the same thing. But that was really, that was really, really a paradigm shift for me. So I want to, one, publicly thank you for that. Um, and, and two, kind of open up that a little bit and, and, and dig into it a little bit to get a better understanding of like how that has influenced and inf- affected your playing. Yeah. Well, thank you. And you're welcome as well. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm glad that, you know, that that affected you in that way. I mean, it's it's yeah, I think it's important for at some point in your development that you realize that it's all connected, you know, like your mm-hmm. playing, your sound, your approach, your style is influenced by can be influenced by anything. You know, uh, obviously, you know, as the circle widens and you start to like see people dance or hear how the keyboard player or somebody shapes of rhythm, you realize that, that you can do that, you know, and then it goes beyond that to how a painter, you know, paints and strokes, uh, you know, makes a phrase visually and how people shape words and tell stories and how, you know, all those things like are just, and those are art, you know, that's, expre- you know, th- those are artistic, you know, expressions, but then there's also just how the world is around you and people's stories and emotions and and it just just the circle just keeps getting bigger. And if you just welcome it in and in any way you can incorporate it into your playing, it is not there's not like an academic approach to that. It's just, you know, being letting letting that become who you are. I mean, one thing that I would, you know, have some students would I had a like a it's called like a mentorship, like students would hang out with me all day and mm-hmm. they would work in my garden like I had a garden in the early years of of living here in New Jersey when I moved from Brooklyn back to New Jersey I had a garden that was the first thing I wanted to do was like grow my own vegetables and stuff and and so I had a student that was like I you know I just want to help you whenever I can I can't afford to pay for lessons I don't have much money so can I help and then he started working with me and what, what we noticed was that the playing got different and better and stronger in a way because we were, you know, this physical exercise that we were doing um, and just getting outside and moving around uh-huh. just felt so different when you got on the drums as opposed to being locked up in a drum studio all day just practicing rudiments and just being closed in on this one particular task. Not You're not really getting much information from the outside world, you know. Right. There, I can go in a lot of directions with this, but... Um, as you know, I'm also a visual artist. I like, I love filmmaking, you know, and just getting involved in, you know, in, in teaching is a, is a creative process. It's just a creative process for me is all something that I, you know, uh, who I am, you know? So, mm-hmm. so when I come up with things on the drums or my approach to the drums, a lot of that creative attitude comes through, you know, that's how I come up with a different beat or that's how I, a drum fill is weird drum fill works because I'm taking a creative approach. I'm not thinking about it academically. Right. And you, I was going to say, you seem like the type of person, even if someone comes in and says, Hey, you know, I want to pay you for an hour of your time. I don't see you as like sitting down and grabbing a book and saying, open up to page 37 and working out of this. Do you? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. But but of course, there there are times when that might work, you know, out of my book or something, you right. know, like I'm 
there might be some something there that might work. But yeah, but no, it's not. It's not like it, it's everybody that comes in. I really listen to them carefully, what they have to say and how they sound, and then we take it from there. And and I have I have a little bit of a format, you know, as you know, some things that I like to stress. Mm-hmm. I try to, to give everybody a, a more holistic kind of like approach, like. You know, how, you know, like I want drummers to think of themselves as composers, you know, not just a player. And they don't have to be a composer. They can be just the player that they want to be in a band. But if they understand composition and they understand creating, you know, being part of the, you know, creation of a, of a song, like or understanding form and things like that in their soloing, then that's going to only help things, you know. Uh, and, and just going through different things like that. And then there's, you know, understanding the rhythmic language, you know, broadening mm-hmm. vocabulary, strengthening their inner time. You know, um, those things can be done in a, in a way that's personal. Right. You know? So it's not, I don't just, yeah, I don't just go into a book and say, you know, let's go through one through 10 in order or four times each. That's like, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I don't know if you, you know, through your early development, if you felt this way, but, but for me, when I was, when I was younger, obviously it was kind of like learning like, you know, X's and O's like in football where it's like, okay, I got to learn, you know, how to play a paradiddle. I got to learn how to play this. I got to play, learn how to play that. I got to work out of these books. And then where I struggled was like, I always felt like I had this natural, sort of uh, like time and feel and things like that, but I never knew how to further develop that. And I think that's the, and and I don't teach. So would you think that that's the, is that the harder thing to teach? Do you think is like, you know, I had Jonathan Blake on last week and we were talking about it, like phrasing and, and composing and seeing textures and, and, and all of those different things. Do you think that intangible stuff is harder to teach? No, no, it's not at all. I think it's very basic. I think everybody has is born with the ability to to move right into that right away. It's just that we are so conditioned, you know, with technique and learning how to, you know, kind of like just well, for drumming for instance, you know, learning how to kind of make the stick bounce effortlessly. Mm-hmm. It's very important that, you know, that that first step of you know, really wanting to be a drummer using sticks, a percussionist that uses sticks. And you have to kind of like get a little bit of a handle on that. But you can start that process right away. It's not complicated at all. But I think when people are conditioned to the for years and years and years, it's just they they get stuck in the book and of of like practicing their paradiddles to the point where they're conditioned and they can't break out of it. Mm-hmm. And that can be a problem, but I don't have a problem with it. Some, you know, for me, my, my, my example is a, is a drummer coming in. So some of them come in from a, a music school, universities that study with me and others just come from that have just, you know, have never studied. Uh, and they can be incredibly competent drummers. They can be really, really impressively technically but um is but they don't they don't really understand the creative aspect of it and how to incorporate you know putting in an idea that might be really personal you know because mm-hmm. they're not because they've been just really mastering the like the basic you know fundamentals of of technique and that's where i 
come in. That's where I enjoy that process. And I don't think it's difficult, really, honestly. It's not difficult. It's just up to the, the drummer or the student to be awakened and opened up, you know, and you mm-hmm. have to do that in a way, like as a teacher, you first of all have to, you know, they have to be really comfortable with you. They have to be to understand that, you know, you know, everything we're sincere about what we're doing and there's not like, I'm not going to chastise them for anything. Uh, it, you have, they have to let their guard down and they have to realize it's time to kind of, you know, start to improvise and, 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 and work on the creative aspect of it using all those things that they've learned, but like finding other ways. Sometimes you have to break the rules. How do you do that? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just tell them pure, just, just think about making sound. Don't think about you're sticking or that it's a paradiddle or that it's in a time signature or in a key even just make some sound you know make mm-hmm. some sound stop then make some other sound it's that simple it's like speaking you know when you speak you speak a phrase you stop and then you speak another phrase and it could be abstract or it could be very specific but those things are it's a very simple process you know and mm-hmm. um Everybody gets it eventually. Some people have a harder time with it because they've been so conditioned. You know, they've been so conditioned to kind of like only think in the box of a time signature and the sticking and all those things like they've never had the opportunity to express their own ideas. Mm -hmm. It can be hard for some of those people, but it's really not. It's not hard to teach it. It's not hard to get people to break out of that. That's what I'm all about. That's like really important to me because I did go through that, you know, frustration. You know, I, I was a very good student. I, stu- I, I you know, I, for two years, I, I just practiced on the pad and learned all of the things in stick control and, and all those things. Like, I, I you know, that's important, but it, it's not the most important thing, but it was important. I was lucky. But then I went through the frustration of like, how do I put myself into this? And mm-hmm. I wasn't really formed as a human being yet, you know? What does that process look like when you start going down that road? Well, you mean for me, my what was my personal experience? Sure, sure. Well, it was frustrating, but it was also, I was very ambitious. So like I would take any, try to get any kind of work possible and, you know, as delusional as you can be in any age, but, you know, especially in the younger years where you're like, you have your, your, your goal or your heart set on, I want to be a studio drummer. I want to be in a Broadway show. (laughs) You know, I want to be in an orchestra. Mm -hmm. I want to in a rock band. I want to be in a hit band. I want to, you know, I want to play in a Brazilian group. I want to play Afro-Cuban music. All those things I wanted to do and the step-by-step process of trying, being rejected, failing, spending years, you know, reaching certain goals and then realizing what the hell was that worth? <laughs> now I'm here and it's not, I'm not feeling, you know, all those things, that process is, that it it's disappointing it's enlightening and it's also rewarding you know but you have to take the good with the bad it's a you know mm-hmm. so for me it was just like going for any at first just any kind of gig i could get i right. was just i wanted to make some money and i wanted to be validated as a drummer <laughs> so yeah. i'd do a club date an off-broadway show a burlesque show whatever the hell it was you know, I would do it, you know, and then it started to open up into other things. I got into Brazilian music and Afro-Cuban music and I realized that was a whole other 
sophisticated expression of drumming and had much more soul to it to me, you know, and then, mm -hmm. you know, but I started rock and roll was in my thing, you know, like that was like, I loved, you know, all the stuff that like growing up listening to the Rolling Stones and Sly and the Family Stone and, you know, and Frank Zappa and, you know, playing with guitarists who could play any style from George Benson to Van Halen. Mm hmm. Having those experiences, you know, those things were part of the path. Um, uh, but eventually I started to experience, like when I met Bob Moses, for instance, in the Brazilian scene, like I was really deep into the Brazilian samba music, you know, and I was taking a class and he showed up and then he saw that I had something, some talent and he wanted to kind of incorporate more Brazilian percussion and he asked me to join him and just kind of, you know, kind of being one of his percussionists. And then I saw how he worked and he was working with Bill Frizzell and Jaco Pastorius, John Schofield and, you know, everybody that was really Eddie Gomez and, you know, just like Danny Gottlieb. Uh, they were everyone. All, they were all around these guys yeah. and they all had their own style. And I was like, what's this? How can they work together? It's so interesting, you know. And, and then he's got them doing things that beyond, you know, who, he's got a real strong vision. And, you know, and just watching that and realizing, my God, there's so many possibilities here, you know. Mm -hmm. When you would mention frustration, were you saying that there was, there was a frustration from that technical aspect getting into the, the creative aspect for you? And and if if that was the case, how did you start to figure out the creativity side? Was it Bob Moses that helped you get there? He's he's one of them for sure. He's one one of the influences. You know, um, he had he was always he you could see he was always having fun, but he was also serious too. So it was like you know he had a vision and wanted to wanted everybody he always you know really was pushing everybody to like get that most incredible solo or ex or expressive way of playing out of them and i'm a young kid and i'm watching this and i and he'll he could get on anybody's case he can get on a some great master musician and just be like no man you got to blah 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 you know like and he'll just like but he'll be their cheerleader and he'll cheer them on the frustrating part for me was like, you know, I didn't have that many ideas. I could only use the language that I've learned, which was like, you know, at that time it was like deep into Brazilian, Afro-Brazilian and Afro-Cuban percussion along with my rock and a little bit of jazz chops into my percussion. Uh, I was just learning that stuff. And, I, and so like I didn't have a lot of vocabulary at the time so but regardless he liked what i he liked that i could express you know that brazilian sort of rhythmic vocabulary and sounds and and i was open to like you know playing a lot of different sounds you know mm -hmm. i was also in electronics i was like triggering samples too you know like i had like an sp12 drum machine with a rolling pads hooked up and i would sample my own sounds and he was really open to like all that stuff hmm. so there's an experimental aspect to it that you know and a technical aspect to it that he enjoyed just kind of vicariously being around me and and, and using the things that i had around me you know and what i was going through at the time he had a way of 
of using my the talent and the little talent and the and the little bit of vocabulary that I had in in a, in a positive way. So frustrating for me, yeah, it was frustrating. But I just think I think the only frustrating thing was that it was such a mystery to me. You know, like mm-hmm. it was just like, what that these people were like formed adults with much more experience, and I was just this kid who was just kind of like dancing my way through and improvising my way through and faking my way through, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, part of that is an art, you know, like you're just faking your way through. If you have a little bit of rhythm and a little bit of musicality, you can actually get by, you know, right. and support and supporting a musical setting, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to know everything. So that's, that was the, the one thing about it. Um, but, you know, the frustrating thing is it's personal. It's like, I want to be this. I want to be that. I can't be that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be, you know. Uh, you know, in the 80s, it was like, how can I be Steve Gadd? You know, like, he gets all the gigs, you know. Right. <laughs> That's all I cared about. Was, <laughs> but I couldn't, I knew I could never be Steve Gadd. I was just none close to him, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, but I was like, I idolized, you know, Stuart Copeland and, and Elvin Jones and, you know, uh, in between, you know, whoever that might be in between those people, you know, and I learned their styles and I, you know, got by with that. Um, but there's a certain point where you have to kind of mix it up and find your own style and you use, you use a little bit of those influences in there and you go for it. You try Mm -hmm. something, you know, it's like freestyling. That was another thing growing up in New York City and kind of going out to clubs and starting to just feel comfortable with just dancing out on the dance floor with a bunch of strangers alone or with somebody, but just kind of like the break dance thing and all that. Like that was really inspiring to me because it had to do with, you know, coordinating yourself with rhythm and moving your body mm-hmm. and feeling yeah. comfortable with yourself. And that taught me something about. Oh, it's like drumming. Like you can, you know, you just, you know, you're just, you're moving around, you know, you're, you're dancing through the tune. Right. You know, I, I always have this thought that, you know, everyone, everyone needs to get a little bit out. Like when I look at your playing, right? Like I have always admired your playing because you have this, you, I mean, you sound like Billy Martin and, and you, the way that you play, it always feels so just, I like I I get the I don't want to say a word that's going to be offensive. So it's it's like it's slinky. Like it just feel it just feels really good. That's the best way that I can describe it. Everything just feels really good, and you can and you can manipulate it, you can push it, and you can pull it, and you can do all these things. But it's always natural to you, and and it always sounds like you. And then you know there's these spurts where it's like, oh, he's not. He doesn't just have great feel. He also has great you know, technical ability too that you can draw on once in a while. And we were talking about people leaning too heavily on that. And I, and I've always, I've always thought, you know, you got to get some of the book stuff, but then you got to move off of that and, and get out of the technical stuff. Like, how do you recommend people even start getting out of the book? Like putting like, all right, you, all right, you can play paradiddles at 500 beats a minute. Like get, let's get away from the book here and start to really develop that creative side. Yeah, well, I, I would just say, you know, by getting out of the book and all that is to just play, play music, you know, think, you know, just play music with people, play with people, 
playing along with if you can't play with people playing along with some some records even you know like and, and just and also play create something yourself you know record yourself playing and listen to it but i think it's really just about get your head out of the book close the book and put it away and start playing music right know, start, start getting the experience of what is it like to just play without looking at a book or having a metronome on and just like interacting you know with other things you know and with other people and 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 that's like that experience is invaluable this is nothing there's nothing like it you know and it's different every time mm -hmm. you know? yeah so it's just really simply that it's like the experience of playing music and thinking about the music part of it you know yeah i don't know when and I don't know if this was like this, you know, I was born in 81, so I don't know if it was like this before, but like, it seems like there's now been this separation of, of drumming and music. Yeah, I know it's always been that way. Has it? Uh, well, I mean, I always, I always think as human beings, we have a tendency to, you know, lean one way or another. And, and there's, I, I use the word academic, but that's not, that's not fair because there's a lot of really, it's really important the academic, you know, certain kind of process and in, 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 in the science of things, you mm -hmm. know, and physics of things are really important in, in all aspects. But I think that there's a some an imbalance sometimes when people get too wrapped up into technicalities. And if you're going to be a musician, it's really an art. <clears throat> it's not a science. It's an art. You know, it's an art form. Drumming mm -hmm. is an art form. It's not a science. If, but if you're into the science of it, that's fine. You know, that's okay. But it's like you either are going to use both ends of this thing, you know, like, you know, to understand like the physical, physical limitations of what you can do and, and, and expand on that. But then you have to think musically and you have to think like an artist, you know, um, my thing is just just to look at really, I mean, simply, just to simplify it is really to look at the history of jazz drumming and look at those drummers and look and follow the ones. It's not just jazz drumming, but jazz, to me, it's the better example of like this incredible, great American art form of jazz. It's mm -hmm. like it's so clear and so obvious that like we you know this this our culture of jazz tradition is so important to stylistically developing that all you have to do is study a handful of jazz drummers and you know for me it was like why is jack dejanet and roy haynes max elvin art blakey danny richmond you know, why are they Buddy Rich, Gene Cooper? Why are they so, why can I hear the different, why can I hear them right away? How right. they hit the drum, what, and how they swing, you know, mm -hmm. how, what is that, you know, and it's personality. It's artistic expression. It's a boldness and an audacity to do it the way you do it because part of it is how you grow up. You know, a lot of those drummers, not all of them. Some of them did go to school, did go to study. Most of them studied probably in classical, Western classical music departments like Miles, you know, not, mm -hmm. not being a drummer, but Miles went to Juilliard, you know. 
but most of them are just kind of learning growing up around music and learning on the on the gig you know playing music with other people and mm-hmm. firsthand experience but studying those drummers like listening to them and just kind of trying to emulate what they're doing i think is is a good exercise for a, for a young developing drummer you know to get out of the book listen to how they play try to emulate what they're doing yeah. Roy Hank has a straight eighth note kind of thing. He's kind of like, you know, there's sort of this like staccato kind of like really sharp phrasing that he does, but it swings, you know, mm-hmm. unquote. And then you've got Elvin Jones, who's like the rounder, you know, things, everything sounds like triplets and it's so funky, you know. Mm-hmm. What is that? It's personality. Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's it being honest and and and, you know. And I think that's when you hear me play, like I, I thank you, you know, like I, I get really, you know, I'm really, um, moved that when people say, I know when I can, you have like, I think there's a Billy Martin sound. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, you know, just say, Hey, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to have a style and it's going to be this. It's like, I'm just honestly laying it out there, you know, right. and a certain kind of way of just going like, this seems this just feels right and i think it's no different i'm going to go back to the dancing you know analogy where like if you're going to dance you probably pretty much have a style already like you just because the way you move your body you're inhibited or you're whatever it is in a certain way and you're going to move a certain way and you're going to look a certain way Mm -hmm. and if it's honest out there and just kind of you know not trying to be something you're not you know, just trying to be, to be honest about who you are and not trying to fake like you're, you know, emulating some other style, then you, that you keep playing that way, you keep dancing that way. And it's going to be obvious to people like, wow, you know, that's, that's who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to the point where I've kind of let go of trying to sound like one thing or another, you know, right. And that's, that's helped me to develop my own style and, you know, well, done it. You have. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's also a process. <coughs> yeah, it's an ongoing process. Any artist, any true artist, is always reinventing themselves, but they always have some kind of like you can kind of always recognize them in some way. Usually, the spirit in, in which they express themselves is usually there's some through line there. Right. But they're also reinventing themselves. They're always growing, always evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I spent, I mean, I still do. Like, I still play along with a ton of uh, like MMW records, and like, I I just remember working through Combustication, and I was like, man, I like, I mean, I was in college, you know, and I got the record, and uh, and coincidentally, like, my I think I told you the story, but my my uncle showed up at Christmas with literally a shopping bag full to the brim with CDs. Uh, individually wrapped and just started throwing them at us. <laughs> oh wow! And yeah. so, and we were all, what's that? I think I do remember you saying that. Yeah, and we were all just like oh, cool. tr- trading around, and I ended up with the Combustication record. Right, I'd never heard of of you guys. Right, and I grab it and I put it on, and I was like, whoa, what is this? And I just then that was that was it. So I started devouring a bunch of a bunch of your stuff. So, um, so like working through all of that stuff after a while i was like i could kind of like understand where you were coming from right 
and if, in like if, in some weird way and i was like okay this start it, it started to make a little bit more sense to me uh and coincidentally at the time i was just starting to play like you know some latin stuff and and was working in like a salsa band and all this other stuff um so it all started to like it all started to make sense and but what that did what i realized uh is that i could start to go to other drummers and if i listened intently enough and tried to play along with them and try to learn then i was like oh now i can start to understand their thing and then i can start to understand their thing and then when i would go back behind the kit i would sort of like start a little bit of like feeling some of that stuff that that all of these people including yourself were playing on all these records and it slowly started to like work itself in all right that's great yeah that's I mean, developing your vocabulary. Yeah, it's just yeah, that's, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. And I, and I was thinking, like, you just, I guess you just can't learn that out of a book. No, no. It's you all know? about listening and absorbing, and you know, kind of paying attention. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the most important thing about learning to me is listening. The most important thing about being a drummer or a musician who is a performer and a composer is listening. Mm-hmm. Listen, what's going on out there? Yeah. <laughs> then observing and then you can make your decisions on what do you want to focus on what is it that's moving to you where do you want to like dig in mm-hmm. you know if you're not listening and you already have these ideas in your head and this is going back to the young billy martin got all these ideas of what it what i think it should be what i want to do and it was you know kind of delusional and like you know just but but i but i had to drag myself through that process but really if i were just and believe me i was listening to things and i was focusing on certain things but i just think that in general we need to be more listening more mm-hmm. and not, and playing less and listening and then we then we play as we play we're also listening you know mm-hmm. so what you were doing was yeah you were absorbing you know all of these different uh ways of playing these different vocab musical vocabulary and and you absorb it and then you, it becomes part of your vocabulary and then you mix it up and then it's you, you know, mm-hmm. it's just all of those different things, different drummers that you hear, you mix it up and it, bec- and then you express yourself freely. And the more you listen and the more you pay attention to the different drummers and the different styles, <clears throat> the more you're going to have to express. And, but, but of course you have to apply it. You have to apply it and you have to try it and you have to improvise and getting back to your uncle, I just want to say it's a great metaphor of him wrapping up these CDs and throwing them out there. It's a chance operation. And that is that to me is such a great way to learn and to sort of like have fun with the chance operation. You know, chance operation is like rolling the dice. Mm-hmm. You know, you roll the dice and you don't you throw it out there and you don't know what number is going to happen. But when you see that number. Then you do something with that number. It's like um, the chance operation. It's like it's like how do you what you know what do I do next? Right. Sometimes you have to just throw the dice, and that has to guide you to where you want to go, and you do it because you can't think for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you incorporate that kind of idea into your playing. You're like you, you can't think too much. You know, sometimes you have to just respond and you have to react, and sometimes you just have to kind of in your own way roll the dice in your playing and just be like you're going to try this thing in this moment you know right. and, and not think too hard about it and let it so to just i just think it's so cool that he did that because through that it was just by chance you know you yeah 
guys all open these up and then you start passing them around to each other and you still didn't know exactly what maybe what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But that really, you know, there's a magic there. I think it's so cool. That record, Combustication, is a whole, that's a whole other episode of just talking about how that record was made. Yeah. It, that was really, yeah, that was a real, real turning point. I mean, every record that Medeski Martin would made was really just another way of approaching making music together. Every record we did was was never the same process. Mm-hmm. That record in particular was very much like a, a mix. First of all, we were still working with David Baker, who was an incredible engineer in the sort of chamber music world. Like his whole thing was getting the sound exactly how it sounded in the room. Right. Then we were also introduced to our friend Scott Harding, Scotty Hard, who worked with Wu-Tang Clan and worked with Teo Macero and PM, all these things in between. <coughs> because I was very much the one guy in the Modesky Martin Wood that was really tuned into hip hop and grew up with kind of like, even before it was called hip hop, that you know, DJ sensibility and all that stuff. Right. And so Scotty was kind of the guy. So we had two engineers who were really the two two engineers and two producers. Half the record was recorded and guided by David Baker or co-produced, you know, with the band. And the mm-hmm. other half was with uh, Scott Harding. And it was like two very different approaches. And then within those two different approaches, we had even yet more ways of approaching things, you know, uh, one thing in particular I'll just bring up this was fascinating and it was actually David Baker's idea. He was like, let's, cause we were kind of ran at this point we were running out of things. We were sort of like, I mean, we can go in there and we can just record our jam session, which is often what most Modesto Martin would over 50% of our music was written that way. Mm-hmm. We just had the mic on and we played and we recorded and we edited it down or it was perfect the way it was. Right. Or we overdubbed a couple of things. Um, this I, this idea was David Baker's. He was like, "Why don't we, why don't we track everything individually, but it's improvised?" So it's like, hmm. "Whoa, how are we going to do that?" Right. So like, so they're like, "Billy, you go in there, lay down a beat." <laughs> so, so I went down. There was hey he hi ho. I went. Oh, you mean like you individually tracked like at different I times? Improvised. Yeah. Right. So in other words, so I went in there got and you, I just. Got you, got you, got you. Made, a beat and sort of like filled into different sections in my own mind, you know, just like just going for it. came in laid the bass line over that just kind of felt his way through john came in and played keyboards and then from there we just built that that we created a form and and that ended up being a very important piece of music that even ended up in the smithsonian jazz archives it was just like the straight the last thing you would think but what's interesting about that what's the what I think is really cool is that <clears throat> whoever decided in the Smithsonian that this was this was the Modesky, an example 
of like the jazz lineage. Did they know that we improvised? <laughs> right. You know, because it's, it was, is, is, you know, it's just very interesting to me. Uh, but I'm proud of it because we did. We went in there and we sort of like, we really just improvised. We danced our way through it and we ended up with this tune in, in a very unusual way. Mm-hmm. Didn't do anything like that before or after. That's so anyway, awesome. That's, that's one, of the, one of the many stories of combustication. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I spent, I spent, I don't even know how many hundreds of hours, maybe even thousands with that record. So, uh, so now I want to go, I'm going to go back and listen to it now thinking about you guys going in and individually tracking that, that, uh, yeah. And that's, that's that was our blue note record too. I think that was the first blue note. Yeah. That was when we signed with blue note. I think that was the first thing we did with them. (laughs) You're like, yeah, we just got signed to blue note. Let's go in and. (laughs) And experiment with all this crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that was where we started to really kind of get into using the studio more, but also blending in the chamber acoustic piano trio aspect and also with the sort of more electronic funk kind of like, you know, it was really, there were, there, there were, there, that was the crossing, that was the crossroads, you know, for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think that's resonates with a lot of people there's so much in that record that like takes you to different places and somehow makes sense yeah i don't know it made sense to me so uh speaking of records i want to talk about this new record that you're working on so you're working on a solo record that what you're you played bass and drums on yes yeah so how did this whole thing how did this whole thing come about well, it started a, two or so years ago when I bought a bass, uh, and you know I had been writing some music. I've been work had been working on some film scores, and and what I realized was, was that like it really helped for me to break out of sort of any pattern by you know just picking up another instrument, even though I don't I don't play it, you know, uh, uh, you know banging something on the piano, picking up a toy banjo plucking something out on a kalimba and bira xylophone balaphone and then the bass to me was sort of like i i it's got four strings you know it's <laughs> less strings than the guitar <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i love the sound of chris wood's hofner and i saw that a hof they were selling these hofner knockoffs or they're they're hofners they're just at the guitar center for like you know 350 bucks or something and i was like let me pick up this Hofner, you know, I need, I need to kind of like, I need another instrument to kind of just play around with, you know, and just sort of self kind of self taught, you know? Right. And, 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 and I just kind of used it to kind of come up with little riffs and melodies here and there. And then after a while I would just find myself picking it up more and more. And then I, one day I bought, I ordered a, a little, the smallest little one button uh, loop pedal and that lasts for you know maybe a year and then it disappeared in mexico city but um that was looping stuff uh so i would kind of like sit on the sit and like or stand and play the just kind of find a riff and then i would loop it and then i would add another counterpart on the bass to that riff and i you know you can as and, you know, all loop pedals do this you can just layer you know more and right, more right. so i usually have two or three counterpoint parts to it that would then it would all be happening and then i would get on the drums and i'd play to you know i just have it plugged into an amp and i would 
play a drum and, fi- and I find these just I find this connection with myself as a bass player and a drummer that were really felt really strong it felt really good I started posting some of these moments that I was having because I, I like to I like to share you know when I come up with an idea whether it's with uh, drawings or with music on my Instagram account and people were really digging what I was doing and I felt like you know, happy that I was sharing it, not just <laughs> showing off, but like right. And you res- always show like the process, which I always love, where you're like, "Oh, I'm still working on this thing," or like, "Remember, I did this thing a couple weeks ago. Here's where it's gone." And then, like a couple weeks later, you'll show another version. Like, "Here's I'm refining this thing." Yeah, I try to. Some things I'll just throw out there once, and other things develop, and yeah, it like comes back. Um, and that's what's yeah, that's what I think is important. And that's as an educator, I feel like that's really really important to me to share mm-hmm. you know that, that's really the giving part you know of, of, of doing things so so it, it just you know got to the point where i was like wow it's been a year and a half and i have all these different things illy beats illy bass you know hashtag and i'm um, like listening to them i'm like i can maybe make a record with this stuff and uh and people are like yeah make a record you know i'd buy your record and right it's like wow like this is kind of interesting, you know, and I haven't done any real groove based stuff, you know, since my Illy Beats series or, well, I've done a couple things, you know, on my label Amulet Records, which are groove based, you know, something with, uh, you know, the Shimmy record with um, Will Blades and Medeski Mago, mm-hmm. but not, and I've been really focusing more on the avant garde or chamber music, experimental, symphonic chamber music stuff. And this is kind of like, wow, I'm ready for this. So, I just decided, like, I'm going to develop this stuff. And then what happened next was a, a, a friend and a, a, who was a fan who became my friend, Rob Reinfurt, who now li- he lives in Salt Lake City, who's a musician himself, and he plays multiple instruments, was like, can you let me try to work with one of these things? Like, I just, you know, I, I just want to sh- see what I can come up with. Will you give me a shot? I said, yeah, of course. I said, that, that, um, it'd be nice to kind of bounce these things off of somebody. And and he sent me back something, and I liked it. And then we just kept developing from there, and we kind of like co-produced this whole thing together. Awesome. And then I got some friends to play on it. Uh, Mark Rebo's playing on like five tracks on guitar. John Medeski's playing on one track. I'm waiting for Bill Frizzell to have a little time to maybe play on something. Uh, and a few a handful other friends, this guy, Martin Dosh, who's a really interesting multi-instrumentalist from Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, who used to play with Andrew Bird and, um, and then, uh, Alexandria Smith, this trumpet player, very talented trumpet player who went to the new school that was in my master class there. And, uh, Jen Liu, who's like, uh, a closet musician who John Medeski turned me on to, who is just breaking out now like and she plays a lot of different things she plays like a little bit of electric harp mm-hmm. and it's just developed into this really strong groove record that has it's, it's been minimalist kind of garage you know i i mean i could throw a bunch of genres at you i don't like genre like using genres but uh, but there it's a mix of genres i would say you know it's like garage surf punk you know funk uh, MMW, you know, like it, all these things come to mind, you know, and it, and, and it feels really good. 
Nice. Yeah, so I, I just needed a little help, so I put it on this kind of Kickstarter campaign to support the, you know, finishing the record, and we've reached a goal to, to print uh, LPs and get some things mixed and some CDs, so I'm very happy about that. And the next step is to really see if I can stretch the goal and get support in, you know, uh, getting on the road and maybe a little bit of marketing and maybe music video kind of like get a little bit of extra support there. Mm-hmm. That's right now. It's, you know, it'll be running until March 28th is the last day of the campaign. So very excited about it. When do you think the, the record will come out? Well, I think realistically June or July, you know, like officially. Right. Uh, and I'm most likely going to release it on my label, Amulet Records, mm-hmm. uh, because I just believe in being as independent as you can be. Uh, but I'm also open. I'm open to you know a, a label you know, discussing what they might want to do with it. But um, regardless, that's my goal. It's you know my goal is June or July, and maybe I'll have a digital release sooner, mm-hmm. you know, just a little bit sooner, especially for the people who supported me, and just to give them give them that taste. Yeah. What, where um, can they, uh, where can people go if they want to learn more about the record and if they want to donate? Well, I mean, they can go to my website, billymartin.net. That's probably the best place to go because it's just so central. I can't, you know, and of course my, and yeah. And my Instagram is illy beats, I L L Y B E A T S. Um, and that is like, I'll have the Kickstarter, you know, uh, link there in my profile URL. So nice, but yeah. And I'll link, I'll like, I always link up to stuff in the show notes. So I'll make sure that, that it's included in the show notes for the, uh, for this episode as well. Cause I'm yeah. going to make sure that, yeah. that people can get to it quickly. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the other thing about it is it's not just about supporting me, but it's also about taking advantage of, you know, what I'm offering, you know, the rewards, like I'm doing house concerts. There's four people that have, made nice uh, donations f- for me to play a concert in their house a solo, awesome. solo set in their house you know drum percussion set uh and and then there's lessons skype lessons there's dedicated beats you know I'll, I'll come up with a special beat for someone and dedicate it to whoever they want me to you know and post mm-hmm. it Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all the other, you know, things like, you know, artwork or, you know, you can, you know, get the seat and the LP and CD, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll, I mean, I'll definitely link up to it um, and, Thank and you. make sure yeah. that people can check it out. And I'm excited to, to hear it for sure. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it'll be interesting watching what you've done on Instagram and then seeing the final product, you know? I know. I know. It's an interesting process. I, I think it's just such a great time to be, you know, this era of, you know, particularly Instagram for me is like the best way to communicate with people Mm -hmm. to kind of share the process of what, what we're doing, you know, and, and and kind of, and so I think, and when we get to the record, it's going to be, it's going to be really cool for, to people to see and they can always go back and look at look at the hashtags or whatever and see wow that's this way it started this is where it ended up mm-hmm. um i also think from a from a fan perspective it's really cool but also from a drummer's perspective like you just coming out with a record seems a little or you know it seems a little like uh 
like intimidating almost, right? For someone to be like, oh, I could never, I could never put out something like this. But you can say, no, 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 here's the process that I went through to get here. You're not just seeing the finished product. You're seeing where, you know, it may have been crappy or it may have like been not fully developed or whatever the case may be. And it's like, no, I worked on it and here's the whole process and here's the finished product now. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, yeah, the backstory is really interesting. And I think it's just, it's really simply put, like, if you have just a little bit of rhythm, you know, right, you pick, you pick up an instrument and you can come up with a riff, all you need is two notes, two, mm-hmm. three notes, and just find a pattern and then play along with that. And you could, that's where the songwriting can start. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have the whole form in your head and the whole idea. For me, it's the opposite. I don't go, I, my whole thing is let things come out as they are. Some things sound scrappy, some, and that's why, I, that's why I use the term punk rock or garage, because the spirit of that is not about technical prowess. It's about just banging it out, mm-hmm. you know, with some emotion or with some feeling, just a very simple idea. Yeah. And that very simple idea resonates with a lot more people than some sophisticated, worked out, clever idea you know yeah that kind of like has to be hashed out and you know it's like things resonate on a simple level with most people and that's why drummers are so important because you know we can just if we can just establish a good feeling simple beat that's gold for any songwriter or any composer you know yeah. and if and, and then then you can be the composer you know? yeah So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff. And you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator one line in the dream symbol family that i think is really cool is the dark matter family they have the flat earth the moon ride and the dark matter energy and although they're all made a little bit differently they all involve the dark matter process and this is really cool check this out they take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven hand hammer it and then shock it with cold water and then put it back in the oven and what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal which give it this really really unique sound and you know what i want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol check them out To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. It's interesting. You were just you were saying about about punk music. I just had uh, Tucker Rule from Thursday on another New Jersey guy. Uh, 
And he, uh, he was talking about the same thing about when he first started playing, you know, he was seeing all these punk bands and he just wanted to be a part of that so bad. And now when he plays, it's, you know, a lot of it is sort of loud and, and, you know, just banging around, but there's intent behind it and there's musicality behind it. And there's just this raw emotion that is inside of, inside of this playing. Uh, it just made me think of it when you were, when you were saying that about how you just have this, this, you know, like some of the stuff you're coming up with is like maybe a little crude, but it, it still has musical, uh, uh, you know, components to it. And, and it's still, it's still oozing with musicality. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a seed that you germinate, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a little something, a little kernel there, a little something, you know, and for me, it, it just really is simple, simple enough as a little phrase that just, it's, it's, it's its own little micro melody. Right. You know, a lot of these bass lines are just, they're, they're the micro melodies. And a lot of things that came out of this, a lot of the, the record is really, the bass line is so shaped in such a way that is really becomes the hook. The beat and the bass line are the hook, mm-hmm. you know, and there, then we find some melodies here and there uh, that like just may balance the whole thing out. Other times it's just a minimalist like track where you're just, it feels good the whole way through. It doesn't really necessarily go to a lot of places, right? but it just feels really good. And it kind of just evolves a little bit by, by the feel and the touch and the way you swing and the way like you drop something out. You know, it's like that simple. And, and to me, that that whole the key word is minimalist. You know, mm-hmm. like I love minimal, minimal music, like not just like Steve Reich or like the classical minimalist movement. But I like, you know, any you know, like you think of like dub, you know, reggae and stuff to mm-hmm. me, you know, I mean, Essie Martin Wood is minimal, minimalist music. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a lot of, uh, you know, expression and sophisticated expression and soloing going on but really the basic composition is very minimal yeah you know sometimes there's not even a chord change in a modesky martin wood tune you know mm-hmm. it's like and you think that's crazy you know like chris wood and modesky you know they, they can play bebop changes you know or circles about around anybody but ultimately it was sort of like this idea of just anti you know anti chord changes it's like let's just get down to the heart of things you know right that that's what i love about minimal music what i love about punk and about you know a lot of the 70s free jazz movement you know the coltrane stuff that was like he started sheets of sound and all that to me is sort of like it's simple but it's really heartfelt Mm -hmm. you know yep it's interesting too or, or, or not interesting but it's important to note that if there are drummers out there who are, are thinking that they would want to put out their own record, you know, you don't have to have this fully baked idea or, you know, you don't have to have this, the, all of these intricate compositions and things like that. Like when I put out my record, it was the same deal. Like we started with like, with a baseline, you know, and just, okay, let's build on this thing and let's start with this little idea and, and let it naturally turn into whatever it turns into. Yeah, it's really it's it's true. And and there's no better time than now to express yourself in any way you want, you know. That's what that's why it's so important to to to, you know, I can't, you know, stress enough that DIY indie independent thinking and expression is the true artist's expression. Like you have to really just realize that like you know you can have a you can make a valid statement with something that's very simple you don't have to 
doesn't have to be super complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where things get done, you know, like it just, you know, for me, like the, the simple beat, you can play a very simple beat, but it's like, if it sounds like unique, even though it's the same old beat, like you can, listen, I'm not going to deny that, like, you know, funky drummer, you know, James Brown stuff or reggae music or all that hasn't, isn't like the basic, like, thing that I do like it's there it was influenced me you know that right the 70s of listening to all the different drum beats and stuff you know that stuff is it's just there and but it's the way I play it and the way I shape it and the way I express myself through that that makes it me you know Mm -hmm. I mean look we're all using the same alphabet vocabulary in the words in the English language anyway right but you're you. When I hear your voice, I hear the tone of your voice. I know it's you. Right. It's more identifiable than your fingerprint, actually. Apparently, mm-hmm. the sound of someone's voice, the weight, shape, weight, wave, and you know, you can identify someone with the tone of their voice, and also the way we speak, the pace that we speak, the words that we use. You know, we're using the same same set of you know letters and things. Mm-hmm. But um. <laughs> I remember I had a drum instructor that said that you can tell the way that someone plays by the way that they talk. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I could say that about how they, how they dance or mm-hmm. how a lot of things you could say, you know, it's like, I think there are things you can pick up on about people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but then there's surprises too. Some people really just bust out of, you know, somebody may act really shy. Mm-hmm. You know, like Kurt Cobain, right? But uh, in a room, he's in the corner, and then all of a sudden, you hear the music, and you're like, "Wow!" Yeah, I had no idea. It's almost like an but, alter ego. Yeah, alter ego. It's like in tra- just transcending, you know. So, but yeah, I totally get what your teacher was saying. Like, you know, yeah, when you hear someone speak, like I always use the the this this is one of my things that I tell uh, any musician when I'm teaching them uh, about when they when they play is that like leave some space in between your phrases you know and sometimes don't play just use silence you know and and uh when you hear someone talking and they're like they're so in a hurry and they got to tell you everything and they can't stop and they're using all these words and they're filling up the space sometimes when people talk like that you can hear it in their playing and it's like wow they play just like they talk they don't leave any space (laughs) not listening you know yeah Oh, it's very that that and that that kind of comparison of like how someone communicates verbally and how they communicate musically often can be correlated. They're very very closely related. Yeah. Why is space so scary? Because it's powerful. It's yeah. powerful. I think that people, especially musicians, especially young musicians, feel that you know they're there to play music and to make sound so not making sound is not why they're there but it but they real they they realize later that it's a very powerful thing you know um and when you leave space it just it becomes it can it can make people feel uneasy um but when you start leaving more space it's a very powerful thing like uh, people listen closer to what you're saying all the great speeches uh, this incredible space between the phrases and things like that. And I learned it from Max Roach. I saw him play live and it's a, a solo set live. And he, 
you know, mm-hmm. he would just play a phrase and leave a long space and then play another phrase. And it was so powerful. And so I think you can hear something like that on Percussion Bittersweet. It might be the record on uh, his record and where he's there's you'll there's plenty of records where he's featured and playing a solo where I'm, I'm sure you can get the idea like he'll play something and then he'll leave a really long space and right. then play something else. It's so powerful. So that 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 leads to one of my, you know, one of my well exercises or strategies for students and musicians and composers is this thing I call string of phrases. And it's just stringing a bunch of short phrases together with space in between them. A real deep space, though, like just, you know, not just a a second of space, but like five seconds of space. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, that's the rule. The rule of this strategy, this exercise, is that make some sound. I don't care what it is that you play, but it's got to be different each time. Every time you make sound and play a phrase, it's a short phrase and it's different. It's different, very different than the next. They, they, they're a chain of different phrases that, and you're leaving like the space is just as long as the phrase, and, and that's the exercise. You know, that's it. Hmm. And you practice that, and it becomes more natural and comfortable to you. Yeah. And all, of, all of a sudden, it, that like you're articulating things, and and people really, really can understand what you're what you're saying with your instrument. You know, when you leave space like that, yeah, anybody. And and I've always been I've always been fascinated by and you know I'm as guilty as anyone else that everyone knows what feels good everyone knows that you know the space feels so good and and the groove you know they listen to something it's like oh man this stuff sounds so great and then they get behind the kit and they do the complete opposite of that oh yeah I'm I'm guilty of it too I'm it's 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 a it's a constant challenge you know to to leave that space. But the, the more, the more, the more it works, the more gratifying it is. And not just to you, but to other people. And mm-hmm. it's infectious, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, it's, it's really nice when people start leaving more space because then that, then that, then you start listening. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and it gives people, it's, it's easier for, for other, the audience to digest. Too. Yeah. I mean, not just like playing all the time and just filling up the space because then it just becomes this giant abstract, you know, mesh of a, of a painting, which can be beautiful. Those kind of things can be really like, if that's the kind of music that you're going for, that's fine. But in general, it's like, it's nice to see, oh, I can identify that figure and I can identify that pattern and I can identify that phrase and that line, you know, all of a sudden things become clearer because there's space, mm-hmm. you know, to identify it and hear it. Yeah. Know? I was and just, you I, don't have to be trained to, to, to hear, to hear good, you know, and the audience is very smart, you know, we're, we're really good ears. Yeah. I was thinking about, sitting you know sitting at a table with someone like you go out to dinner with someone and they're just non-stop talking and you're it's going in one ear and out the other because the person won't stop talking or but if you were sitting there and they were saying absolutely and neither of you were saying anything and they said one sentence that set you would that sentence would obviously be more impactful and and absolutely yeah yeah exactly that's a perfect example perfect so, so interesting it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so what, uh, what else do you have on tap for MMW? Is there any new music in the works or anything? Well, we, you know, we, uh, a couple of years ago we were, we had a, 
a film crew producer and they wanted to make a documentary about us. So mm-hmm. we were planning to go to Mexico in a sort of outside of Mexico city in this remote region and make a record like kind of like the idea was sort of like, Oh, let's go somewhere. Like when we made shack man in Hawaii, it was a remote place and we just were stuck together, like working on music. Right. So we decided to go to, to Mexico and then the di- two days Two days before, there was that that incredible earthquake, uh, uh, and we had to like switch gears. So we ended up uh, doing it upstate uh, New York, uh, up on the top of this little hill, little mountain, Alaire Studio, which was like kind of a half of a studio now. I mean, a, a giant place, you know, like a beautiful, you know place up on the top of the mountain it was actually david bowie's favorite studio out there really um but uh we had recorded a children's record out there um let's go everywhere and we came back and it was like we had to bring in equipment but the there was there was things there that we could use uh but there wasn't any board so we had to bring in and the film crew filmed us for for almost a week Mm -hmm. hanging out writing music together, improvising, going through every possible way to come up with a new record. And they captured it. It's called Not Not Jazz. It's been only in a couple of little film festivals. It's not available to the public yet. It's all on the producers. We don't own it. Uh, so it's a matter of time of when it's going to be there. I think uh, it would be interesting for our fans to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not up to us. And the record that we made is also not finished. It's like we're, we last almost a year ago, we were close to finishing the mix and it was going to be released with the movie and then the movie didn't get released. And so we were like, we, we had no reason to release it. We wanted to kind of do it. Put it together. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, we we're sitting on a record. Uh, and so that's coming someday. I don't know when it could be, it could be, you know, in the fall, it could be next year. I don't know. Um, and we're going to play one gig <laughs> in, 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 uh, um, in Pennsylvania. Um, what's the name of that town in Pennsylvania? The electric town. It's, um, the electric town. Well, the, yeah, there's something about electricity. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like, there's some, there, there's some kind of, uh, slogan for that for that city uh pennsylvania uh I don't know, i'm from pennsylvania i'm like what oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look it up i'm, I'm interested up. july 4th it's a big festival it's called it's scranton pennsylvania oh scranton yeah and it's the peach the peach festival mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh were no other gigs scheduled um and you know uh this record you know that i'm calling guilty my solo record i'm actually you know planning i'm hoping to uh get that out maybe later in the summer or in the fall mm-hmm. and uh and there'll be it'll sort of be like a mixed you know like it'll be it depends on who's available when but it'll sort of be an interchangeable band so sometimes maybe medesky will do some gigs maybe sometimes rebut mark rebo you know, whoever, whoever might be available, bass players, you know, like it'd be interesting. I'll have a choice of bass players. Awesome. Maybe, maybe I'll play a little bass and have a, someone switch on the drums, but in general I'll be playing drums cause it's just my thing. Right. Right. Uh, 
I might have two bass players because I have these like, you know, counterparts that are kind of important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so that that it's it, in a way, this record is has a sound that I think people will appreciate as closest thing to MMW that I've done, but not intentionally. You know, I right. didn't intentionally do that by no means. And and I love playing with, with John and Chris. It's just, you know, we're all doing our thing. We love each other. We're we love playing with each other, but uh, it's kind of one of these things where, like, we're so busy. Chris is very, you know, busy with his the Wood Brothers, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's really a path he's taken that's really important to him. And and it's not by no means it was like we broke up or anything. It's just like we needed a break and we're we're okay with it. And Chris is doing his thing, and we're, and John and I are doing a lot of other things that are really meaningful, and important to us. Right. Um. And we'll. We'll do some gigs now and then. We get a good offer now and then we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would imagine when, you know, if you guys do decide, okay, we're going to go make another record or go to do something else, you'll come back so fresh and have all these different ideas and give, you know, all the new experiences that all of you guys have and then you can collectively put those together and come up with something amazing. Exactly. That's always been our philosophy too. It's always been like, you know, bring back, you know, you're going to play with another band Bring back that experience. Yeah, know. bring something good back. <laughs> yeah, when for you know that's always been our thing. Like we need to evolve. If we we need to be growing. We're not sure. going to go back and just play play the same way we played ten years ago. We're gonna we can play some of that music, but it's always always been a process where we're like introducing new things, new ideas, new approaches. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the jazz spirit in a way. It's like you know sure. playing playing a tune but differently each time, and whether it's ours or someone else's. Mm-hmm. I like it, man. I am uh I'm super excited for one for the for your record to come out and two uh for you know the documentary and the 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 coinciding record to come out with that as well. And if people want to find out more about your record, they should go or just, you know, contact you about lessons or anything like that, they should go to billymartin.net and uh I want to thank you for numerous reasons. One, for being such an inspiration for all these years, but also two, for come, not coming on once, but coming on the podcast twice. I really do appreciate your time and, and your insights and all the value that you bring to the drumming community. So thank you for being a part of this once again. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for doing what you do too, man, as a drummer and as a, you know, this podcast. It's good, good for people to hear our thoughts. Yeah, I appreciate Thanks. that. I appreciate it. Thanks, Billy, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. There you have it, the one and only Billy Martin. And you can find the show notes and all the links to everything that we talk about, specifically the Kickstarter campaign for his new record, Guilty. You can find that by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 557. And also, if, if if you dig the podcast, if you feel like you get value from it, please do me a favor. Two things. One, share it. When new episodes come out, that's the least you can do. Share it on social media. Let people know about this podcast and also leave a rating or review. I never ask anyone to pay for any of these, but all I ask is that you share them and that you leave a rating review. You can do that on iTunes and it takes about a minute. It's super simple. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.
Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.